Hey everyone, it's Patrick from Inside the Boards. You're listening to Physiology by Physio. Here is Dr. Greg Rodden discussing hypersensitivity reactions. In this section, we'll be discussing hypersensitivity reactions. Let's get started. Simply put, a hypersensitivity reaction is an unintended immune response that causes disease. There are many examples of this, from simply seasonal allergies to full-blown lupus, and we'll get into these details in a second. In order for these reactions to occur, the immune system must first become sensitized, and this happens following initial antigen exposure. This allows the immune system to generate antibodies or activate T-cells. Once the patient becomes exposed the second time, these antibodies or T-cells mount an unintended immune response, resulting in a hypersensitivity reaction. So hypersensitivity occurs following second antigen exposure. There are four types of hypersensitivity reactions, which we'll discuss now. As a quick review, there are four types of hypersensitivities, and these can be remembered with a mnemonic A, B, C, D. Type 1 is anaphylactic and atopic. Type 2 is antibody-mediated. Type 3 is immune-complex-mediated. And type 4 is delayed. Let's begin by discussing type 1. An immediate reaction occurs within minutes after exposure to the antigen. Now, you may be wondering why the response is immediate when earlier I said that the immune system must first become sensitized. This is because we're assuming that the patient already had that initial exposure. Just assume that the patient already has had the initial exposure and has had time to develop antibodies. In this case, IgE molecules that can recognize and bind to antigens. So free antigens cross-link IgE on presensitized mast cells. This causes the mast cells to degranulate, which release histamine and tryptase. If the reaction is systemic, it can cause anaphylaxis. And if it's local, it can cause atopy, such as eczema. Notice that an antigen that is bound to an IgE molecule binds to an IgE receptor on the mast cell. This causes mast cell granules to release histamine and tryptase, and these can be detected in the serum. Tryptase is especially high yield because you usually don't think of this associated with mast cells. Histamine is probably the first thing that comes to mind. So remember tryptase. Okay, a few examples of type 1 hypersensitivity reactions include asthma, anaphylaxis, and seasonal allergies. A bee sting is probably the highest yield to be familiar with. Finally, an ELISA blood test or an intradermal skin test can detect allergen-specific IgE. In this test, various allergens are injected intradermally and then the back is assessed for swelling. Significant swelling can identify allergens and this information can be helpful in avoiding type 1 hypersensitivity reactions in the future. All right, now let's discuss type 2 reactions. This is probably what you think about when you're thinking of an autoimmune disorder. An antibody binds to an antigen on a target cell, and this results in destruction, inflammation, and dysfunction. Destruction is due to opsonization, which activates complement and promotes phagocytosis or causes natural killer cells to induce apoptosis. The inflammation occurs as a result of complement activation. Recall that complement can cause neutrophil chemotaxis. Finally, the dysfunction occurs due to antibody-mediated blockade of cell surface receptors. So pretty straightforward, we can see a surface antigen that's bound to an antibody, and the antibody can then attach to the FC receptor on an NK cell, or it can activate complement. IgG and IgM can both fix complement via the classic pathway. 
In both cases, the immune system attempts to destroy the cell with the antibody bound to the antigen. There are many examples of type 2 hypersensitivity reactions, but there is one that's higher yield than any others, which is transfusion reactions. These occur due to ABO incompatibility. Others include hemolytic disease of the newborn, Graves' disease, and many others, such as rheumatic fever and myasthenia gravis, just to name a few. A direct Coombs test can detect antibodies on the surface of red blood cells, and an indirect Coombs test can detect antibodies in the serum. Both tests can be helpful in diagnosing type 2 hypersensitivity reactions. All right, now let's discuss type 3 hypersensitivity reactions. This is due to an antigen and antibody that bind together and form immune complexes. These deposit in the tissues and activate complement. A high-yield concept to be familiar with is the fact that this results in hypocomplementemia. This makes sense, right? If all these immune complexes are being deposited throughout the body and activating complement, then if you test for the concentration of the various complement factors in the blood, they will be low because they're being used. Just as expected, complement activation goes on to cause inflammation, including neutrophil chemotaxis and mast cell degranulation. From here, neutrophils are attracted to the tissue and release lysosomal enzymes. There are two subtypes of type 3 hypersensitivity reactions that you should know, including serum sickness and an Arthus reaction. In serum sickness, there is widespread deposition of immune complexes following exposure to a protein antigen from a non-human species. The phrase serum sickness gets its name from when studies were performed on humans that involved administering horse serum as a way to try and treat diphtheria and scarlet fever. Initially, the patients were fine. However, several days or weeks later, they began to have rashes and myalgias, and this type of reaction is now referred to as serum sickness. A perfect example of a drug that can cause serum sickness is infliximab. This is a monoclonal antibody that has a human component and a mouse component. So if patients are exposed to this drug, they may develop serum sickness, which can manifest as a rash, malaise, fever, and polyarthralgias, which typically occurs days to weeks following exposure. The other subtype is known as an Arthus reaction. This is due to local deposition of immune complexes, typically following a vaccine booster. So as the antigens in the vaccine are injected, there is presensitized IgG that can immediately bind to the antigens, resulting in immune complex formation. Common culprits include diphtheria, tetanus, and HBV vaccines. Ultimately, this results in complement activation and causes local pain, swelling, and erythema. Examples of type 3 hypersensitivity reactions include post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis, infliximab, and penicillin. Penicillin specifically can cause what's known as a serum sickness-like reaction. This is exactly what it sounds like. It's similar to serum sickness, but not true serum sickness because it's not due to exposure to a protein antigen from a non-human species. Serum sickness-like reactions are less severe than true serum sickness and can be caused by infections such as HBV as well as drugs such as penicillin. Okay, the final type of reaction we'll discuss is type 4 hypersensitivity. Unlike the other three reactions, this is the only hypersensitivity reaction that is not mediated by antibodies. Rather, it's T-cell mediated. It's also known as a delayed type hypersensitivity. And this is because it requires time due to T-cell involvement. In other words, T-cells must undergo activation and expansion before this type of reaction is seen. Both CD8-positive and CD4-positive T-cells are involved. CD8-positive T-cells directly kill cells 
and CD4-positive T-cells are stimulated to release inflammatory-inducing cytokines after antigen recognition. Recall that CD8-positive T-cells can bind to antigens present on MHC1. From here, granzyme and perforin are released, which destroy the cell. Recall that T-helper cells can be activated by macrophages or other antigen-presenting cells. Once activated, they release inflammatory-inducing cytokines, such as interferon gamma. There are many cytokines that can be released, and we haven't shown them all here. So again, both CD8-positive T-cells and CD4-positive T-cells are involved in type 4 hypersensitivity reactions. A few examples of type 4 hypersensitivity reactions include contact dermatitis. This could be from, for example, a nickel allergy or poison ivy, Canada antigen exposure, the PPD test, and transplant rejection. One of the highest yield examples to be familiar with is poison ivy. It's pretty inconspicuous, so patients often come in contact with it when on hikes or in the mountains. All right, as a quick review, there are four types of hypersensitivities, and these can be remembered with a mnemonic A, B, C, D. Type 1 is anaphylactic and atopic. Type 2 is antibody-mediated. Type 3 is immune-complex-mediated. And type 4 is delayed. Okay, now that we've covered the information, let's review with a question. A three-year-old boy is brought to the emergency department in anaphylactic shock after eating peanuts. Elevated serum concentrations of what substances can be used to support a diagnosis of anaphylaxis? Okay, this boy is in anaphylactic shock after eating peanuts. This is describing a type 1 hypersensitivity reaction. Call that in a type 1 reaction, mast cells degranulate and release histamine along with tryptase. So the correct answer is histamine and tryptase. And with that, we've covered everything you need to know about hypersensitivity reactions.